a series right now, many of you will know, called Our Story, where we're going to be going over uh, through the entire Bible in about the next 13 weeks. And um, if you miss, just so you know, some of you guys got to go places, you know, you got to go out of town for work, or maybe you go, maybe you know somebody from another church that would like to hear these messages. Um, they are going to be posted on our website. And also, I, my wife's recording right now on uh, Facebook Live, and uh, so it'll be on there also on, on video. Unfortunately, then you have to also see my face while you hear the word. Uh, for some of you, that might, you may want to take your glasses off. I don't know. Anyway, we are going into session two. Um, I, I entitled this, like, this session, I entitled it, Why Do I Make My Life So Complicated?, and I'm sure that all of you can relate to that at one level or another. So let's, uh, let's go right into the text. We're, we're going to cover a ton of ground. And just so you know how this is going to work, from now on, every, hopefully Monday, I'm going to post the readings for the next session. So that way you know exactly where we're going. You can read ahead if you want to. Uh, there will be times that probably, unless you are a speed reader, you're not going to be able to read as much as I'm going to give you. Um, but I want you to know the track in history that we're going through, so that way you can follow. Anyway, we're going Genesis chapter 4, and starting in verse 1. And just so you know, too, we are going to be in Genesis uh, for, I think, the next two sessions. So with that said, let's go. So I'm reading from the NIV. It said, Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was the keeper of flocks, but Cain was the tiller of the ground. And so it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel on his part also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. Catch that. That's important. So God did not receive Cain's offering. Going on. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well... Will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. But you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. So, let's, uh, let's get into this. So last week, if you didn't hear... Um, the message. There are going to be CDs, and Archie make a lot of them. There's been people who are going to want this stuff. So uh, last week's message, we talked about really creation and how God made stuff. And, and you all know that I don't care whether it was six 24-hour days or six million years or six eons of million years. I don't care. The point is that God made it. And um, you all can, if you want the details of, of my how much I don't care about it, you can listen to the last message. Um, 
But he makes humanity to bear his image. We become image bearers of God. And God is going to bring his kingdom to this earth through humanity. He's going to reestablish the kingdom here and, and, and put away Satan's rebellion. But instead, we as humans join the rebellion. And we sin against God. And God had said, in the day that you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. And so there's a death sentence hanging on man. It's not that God is saying, and again, this is from last week, but God did not say, in the day that you eat the fruit, I'll kill you. He said, in the day you eat the fruit, you're going to surely die. In other words, God's talking about the result. This is not judgment. This is the reality of what the knowledge of sin, of good and evil, brought into humanity. And so God has to deal with this issue with his children, where there's a death sentence over his kids. And so God does something amazing. He, it says in scripture, says that he, he took skins of animals and covered their nakedness. And so God made the first sacrifice. Now, I wanted to leave you on that point last week, but I want to really, this week, explain a little more fully about sacrifice. Because sacrifice was established by God as the means to be able to pay for sin. This is so important because this stream of thought is from literally uh, Genesis chapter 3, the third chapter of the book, all the way to the end. In fact, that's why Jesus dies on the cross, to be our sacrifice. He's, he's literally tagging back into the beginning sacrifice of God to pay for all the sins of humanity by being the perfect human. That's why he had to be sinless. That's why he had to be God in flesh. Because no matter how good you are, nobody's been sinless in here. And so... So Jesus is the fulfillment of this sacrificial concept to pay for sin. And, and this is the deal. If you go to Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 11, the scriptures say this. For the life of a creature is in the blood. It's interesting how that was proven by medical science about, oh, 6,000 years after it was written. Um, anyway, that's a whole other side there. The life of the creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonements for one's life. So, so literally, it's the blood of, of another creature that paid for the sins of humanity. And this, this theme of sacrifice, this theme of, of sacrifice to pay for my sin, is from Genesis 3 forward. Now, What's interesting about that, folks, is that in this scripture here, God had given sacrifice as a means of worship, as a means to be able to cleanse us from sin, and yet what ends up happening is the tool that God established to take away sin produces the greatest sin possible, which is murder. Literally, the first murder is, is captured here in these scriptures. And I want you to understand this. There is something in humanity. There's something just deep in us 
Like I said it last week, I mean, sometimes Chris will say, raise your hands, and folks just won't raise their hands just because they, they refuse to be told what to do. We just got bad attitudes. There's just, there's just it's, like, it's like the little kid, you heard the story about, you know, he, uh, he was in trouble with mama, and she was putting him in time out in the corner and told him to sit down in his, in his chair, and, uh, and he wouldn't, and so she, she punished him. And then she said, sit in your chair, and he wouldn't, so she punished him. And said, sit down in your chair, and he wouldn't, so she she punished him. And finally, he sits down in the chair. And he says, I'm standing up on the inside. (laughs) We're not much different than that ever. And, And what's crazy is that we get like that about worship. And... It's important to understand that it was rebellion and worship that caused this first murder. People always want to worship in their way. And in this church, that can look like a lot of stuff. You might see me bouncing here. I was told by somebody once they should just give me a jump rope so at least I could count how many times I jump. Uh, while I'm bouncing up here, you might see someone dancing. You, if we get really wild sometime, you might see someone do a lap or someone. I've seen holy rollers. I mean, you, there's all kinds of stuff. You can do a lot of stuff in here for worship, and it's all good. Nobody will look at you and go, wow, wonder what that person's doing. No, we know what you're doing, and it's all good. But this is the thing. It's, it's, there's one thing to worship God and be worshiping him in truth and, and worshiping him. Having all your direction there. Because scripture says that we should lift holy hands without doubt or wrath. It says in the scriptures that, the, that we should worship him in the high symbols. That we should worship him on the clanging symbols. That we should worship him with, with harps and lyres and trumpets. It says that we should worship him in a dance. So any of those things are legal here. But this is what is not legal. is to, to worship Something other than him or to worship him in a way that he can't receive it. There's a lot of people who will say, well, there's many rivers and they all lead to the same ocean. Trying to justify any religion. And there's a lot of different moralities. And this is not a condemnation of of moral religion. There's a lot of good philosophy in the world. Buddhism is very moral. It just doesn't have a cross. There's just no sacrifice to pay for their sin. So it's not morality that saves us. It's Jesus. And not all worship is the same. See, there's a problem. God is God. And he established sacrifice as the form of worship to pay for sins. And to allow for a reestablishing of the relationship between him and me. And and worshiping in ways that doesn't meet that need doesn't work. If we worship him trying to establish relationship without the sacrifice, there's no payment for our sins. We can't approach him. We can't have that relationship. And this is the thing. People can be sincere. They may believe in God. They, They may be really very devout in their worship, but if we don't approach God in the way that he can be reached, he can't be reached. It's like I was thinking the other day, I was, you know, my wife, she's been stuck with me for 
man, 23 years she's been stuck with me total since we've been dating and, and married. And this is the thing. If I want to talk to her and she's not in the room, even though we have this relationship, we have this connection, we got a couple of beautiful babies. They're a little grown now. They're not quite babies anymore, but they're still really cute. Um, I have to, if I want to call her, I have to dial the right number. Or there's no connection. And there's a lot of people that, that are trying to dial God up, but there's no channel of connection because they have not brought Jesus in and received his sacrifice to pay for their sins. If we don't approach God in the way that he can be reached, he can't be. Because he's done everything he can to try to create that connection. In the Old Testament, sacrifice reopened the path for relationship with God. And relationship with God, hear me, is always a grace thing. Like I said, with Adam and Eve, they're lost. Imagine, can you imagine what it felt like to be Adam and Eve after having eaten the fruit and their eyes are open? Their whole world's blown up. Everything. They went from, from, from everything being great to all of a sudden feeling incredibly insecure. They're like, I'm naked. And, and, and you're naked. And, and we, there's something really wrong. Something just broke inside. Can you imagine the fear? Can you imagine how they felt? And they're running for trees and sowing fig leaves together. Their whole world was shattered. And yet God provides a way back to him. Too often we, as people, were trying to work our way to let God like us. Anyone ever been there? Yeah, we got one, got one honest person in the whole room. Thank you, Ed Troy. That hand shot up. He almost dislocated his shoulder. It came up so fast. <laughs> so many times we're trying to work our way. I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to be right. And, and you should be. I'm not, this is not saying that go out and sin. It's all cool. It's not because it breaks people, breaks relationships. But this is the thing. You can't earn your way to heaven. You can't earn your way to salvation. You can't earn your way to a relationship with Jesus. It's always a grace thing. See, works are about what you can do. Grace is about what God provides for you. God provided the first sacrifice to cover Adam and Eve's sin. He gave a life to shed its blood to pay for their lives. God provides the mode of sacrifice so that we can continue to pay, have our sins paid for. That is grace. Because we had no way back to God either. Except for the way that he created for us. We need to allow him to rescue us by allowing the sacrifice to bring us back to him. The sacrifice of Jesus. But this is the thing. Too many times, guys, we want to do it our way. We want to try to work well enough. We want to try to do good enough. We want to try to be good enough. We want to try to give enough, serve enough, and do all these things. But I want you to hear me really, really closely. Hear this point. That's what Cain did. Cain brings the fruit of his labors. He's a gardener. He's a farmer that doesn't raise cattle or raise sheep. 
He raises vegetables. And so he's taking the, the sweat of his work and bringing it to God and saying, God, I give you my work as, as my offering to you. And, and Abel has been guarding sheep and making sure they're taken care of. And then he takes the sheep and he makes that offering and God accepts that. But God doesn't accept the offering of the vegetables. And Cain's, well, he's ticked. Because there's something in us that we want to be accepted. We want our work. God, I've worked really hard for you here. God, don't you see all the labor? I mean, I don't know about, I, I don't know anything about farming. I'm the first one to say it. You all know. I mean, I, I, if I get dirt under my fingernails, it's by mistake. But I, I, I do know that it seems pretty hard to keep a garden going. And then if you leave it for just a little while, there's all kinds of weeds in it. And it gets all overgrown. It seems a lot easier to be able to kick the cows out and let them graze. And then bring them in in the morning and in the night to milk them. Now that's a lot of work. And I know my, my parents, my dad was a, a raised on a dairy farm and... He decided when he was like 18 that he was not going to do that for a living. So <laughs> I know it's a hard life. I know it's a hard life. But it seems as though, and I could be wrong and I could be corrected afterward because I don't know anything about anything. It just seems as though this gardening thing with like vegetables is really hard work. And yet, if we're, so if we're, if we're measuring it out, there might be more intensive labor on Cain's side. So if we're, if we're looking at the cost, it might be greater on Cain's side than on Abel's. And yet God doesn't accept Cain's offering. He accepted Abel's. Because this is the thing. And this is what you got to understand. With Cain's offering, his offering was real. His offering was probably abundant. There was probably a big old pile of vegetables that he's trying to cook up for Jesus. But there's no blood. There's no blood. There can be no payment for sin. And because of that, God can't receive it. It, it can be something that, you know, if, if they, he took all of his vegetables and if there was more than just, you know, four people in the world at the time, he could give it to the poor people so that they had food to eat maybe. He could do a lot of maybe different things with that. He could give it. Later we find out that there's Thanksgiving offerings and goodwill offerings. And maybe he could make it that kind of offering to the Lord. But it can't be sacrifice. Because sacrifice requires blood. Or God literally can't receive it. What's amazing about this, folks, is that I believe that Cain sincerely wanted God to accept his offering. I believe he came with a good heart, a heart of worship, wanting God to receive his offering of the fruit of his labor. And he's saying, God, accept my gift to you. And what's sad is that God wants to, but he can't because there's no blood. Listen to this. This is Genesis 4. Uh, starting in verse 5, it says, But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. For Cain be- so Cain became 
angry and his countenance fell. And then the Lord said, listen to this. He's saying to Cain, Cain, why are you angry? Why, why is your face hanging down? If you, do, if you do this offering thing right, won't I accept your offering? Can you hear the pleading of a father with his son going, hey, hey, just do this the right way and, and I'll accept it and it'll be good. But then there's a warning too. He says, if you don't, sin is literally crouching at the door waiting for your decision of how you're going to handle this. And you have to master it. Or it's going to master you. See, God is always trying to rescue us, even from ourselves. He's always trying to, to show us the right way to go. He does this with Cain. He's warning him, saying, hey, do this the right way, and, and everything is going to be good, and you'll be happy again. But Cain doesn't. And he calls his brother out, and he kills him. Now, there's a lot of talk in the scripture. It does say that the Lord puts a mark on Cain. And there's been a lot of question through the years what that means. You know, you know what it means? It means that murderers have a mark of the blood of the life that they've taken. Where, where sin is paid for by sacrifice. Taking a life, scripture says that a life is a required of a life being taken. And... and even though we may not have um, capital punishment, I don't even know if we do in Pennsylvania, but um, a life taken will leave a mark on your life. And so that's really the key that you want to understand there. It's, don't, don't, you don't have to have any more discussions about that. There's a lot of speculation. It doesn't matter. It was the mark of murder is what was on Cain. And what's sad is that from that point forward, Humanity continues in a downward spiral of rebellion and sin to where literally it says in, in Genesis 5, or excuse me, Genesis 6, said the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thought of his heart was evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man from the earth and agreed his heart. From that point forward, God begins to, to make a decision that he's going to Fix the problem. That, that man has become so corrupted that judgment has got to fall on a grand level. There's nobody who's staying in relationship with him except for this one dude named Noah. And God says to him, make an ark for yourself of gopher wood. And you shall make an ark with rooms and cover it inside and out with pitch. That's Genesis 6.14. God calls Noah and begins to tell him to build an ark. And yes, I really do believe in the ark story. I believe in a global flood. I believe in all that stuff. And you can think I'm unintelligent if you want. But uh, I'll take an IQ test for you if you'd like. Um, the point is this. We don't have time to discuss creation and, and all that mess. This is the thing. If you want to dig up some research, dig it up. A lot of the things that they say were covered in ice ages and happened because of, of ice age type activity. Uh, could be related to the flood instead. That's a whole other point. But this is what I want you to catch. I know that if you know the story at all, Noah and his family and like animals two by two, right, are all marching into the ark and they're saved through the flood because of the ark. 
Now, what's interesting is this, and this is the thing I want you to catch, because the way that we tend to look at it is like, well, God spares Noah, and he damns everybody else. But this is the thing. It says in Scripture that, that Noah became a preacher of righteousness. If you go to 2 Peter 2, 4 through 5, it says, For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, meaning Lucifer and his angels, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on his ungodly people, but protected Noah, hear this, the preacher of righteousness and seven others. I want you to understand that the God not only called Noah to go and build an ark, he called Noah to go preach to people to say, come with me. Come with me. There's an ark, and I know you all think I'm crazy is what Noah would say, because at that time, he's building an ark where there's no, there's no ocean anywhere near him. The best as we can tell, he's kind of near Iran, which is completely landlocked. And he's building this big old huge, you know, cruise liner. And he's telling the folks, hey, hey, it's going to be flooding and you need to get into the ark with us. And he keeps preaching it. And you can just hear the people mocking him. But this is the thing. He is preaching to people, trying to get them saved. God is calling for Noah to go out and warn people that there's judgment coming. And God is trying to save folks. But they are resistant. In this, Noah becomes really the first missionary. He's the first one who's out there reaching for the rebellious. And yet, from what we understand, the world outside of his family remained in their rebellion. And so we know the story. There's, there's a great flood, 40 days and 40 nights. And what many don't realize is that when God closed the door of the ark, that they were in that ark for over one year, or 370 days before it comes to rest on Mount Ararat. But then it says this, and I want you to check this out. We're going to Genesis 8, 18 through 20. It says, So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives, and all the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds and everything that moves on the, the land came out of the ark one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, taking some of the clean animals and clean birds and sacrificed burnt offerings on it. God had rescued Noah and, and this group of animals and his family. And, and his first act is the act of worship through sacrifice to cover sin. Isn't that incredible? What's amazing is that the only dry wood in the entire planet would have been the wood from the ark. God literally took the, the wood from their, their, the thing that saved them through the flood. And Noah takes that and uses it to build the altar and burn the offering. God promises at that point, if you go to Genesis chapter 9, 
or yes, 9, 7 through 17. I won't read it all. But there's Noah's covenant. Noah's covenant promises Noah and his descendants and all the living creatures from the ark. God promises to never flood the earth again and destroy all the things that live. And he gives this sign. This is important. He gives this sign that when Scripture says, on the day of rain, so when it's going to rain that day, there's a sign that God tells humanity and says, we'll never flood the earth again. I will never flood the earth and destroy all life. And the sign is this. It's the rainbow. Can you imagine how freaked out the first, like, three generations of people were when they saw rain clouds coming? So, oh, man. That'd be a bad day, you know, around here, especially, like, in the middle of summer or this August. Has it been crazy around here this August? Raining, like, all the time. And, and, and yet, God says when you see the clouds, the rainbow tells you I'm not going to flood this place again. Every covenant always has a sign. We'll talk more about that next week. But God establishes a covenant, a promise. And he says, I, I, I provided for you, and I will not judge this world like that again. And then you'd think that, that humanity would get it right after that, right? I mean, a bunch of stuff's happened. Dude killed his brother, and then all humanity goes kind of crazy, and then there's this flood, and there's this ark, and there's all this stuff that happens. You'd think that finally they'd get it right. they go, hey, we should maybe listen to God. Well, God had said to them, go into all the earth and fill it. And instead, what do they do? They decide to build a city. We know the city is Babel, and I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping things up again. If you want to read this, this is going to be Genesis chapter 11. They begin to build a city, and they build this tower. And it says that the tower is going to reach to the heavens. I want you to hear me again on this. Why would they build a tower to the heavens? Maybe, just maybe, because they had just been flooded to the heavens. I really believe, and so do many theologians, that, that the, there was man's attempt to save ourselves. <laughs> All right, God might, God might change his mind. I know I see that rainbow there, but God might change his mind. I don't really trust God in what he said. So, so I'm going to build a way to save myself. I'm going to build a tower. And I'm going to make my name great. And it's at that point, then, that God disperses the peoples around the world. He, he confuses languages at that time. Obviously, everyone comes out of Noah's family, and they're all speaking one language. And, and God, from that point, disperses the nations. What's interesting, and anyone who wants to dig this up, I actually have some references, if you'd like, from linguists. Uh, they say that all languages can be traced to three root languages. That, that if you, whatever language you speak, it can be traced back to three root languages. What is interesting, that God dispersed the nations, and it says, if you read further in Genesis chapter 11, it gives specific regions where Noah's sons go. What's crazy is this. Noah has three sons. And God sent them in different directions. And in order for them to be able to work, they'd have had to talk when God confused the languages. 
There's a lot of stuff, folks, that's in this book. But this is the key message today. The key message is this. We are bent toward being self-destructive because of our rebellion. It is in humanity. From from the, the story of Adam and Eve all the way through the next eight chapters of the Bible are all about just humanity's continued direction toward rebellion and that producing self-destructive tendencies. Whether that just result in sin in that person's life or if it result in actually the killing of Abel by Cain. We are all at just a base level. We're rebels. We're that little kid in the corner going, I'm standing up on the inside. And yet God is is always trying to rescue us. He's trying to rescue us from ourselves. He's trying to rescue us from our own, the, the own traps that we're setting for ourselves down our own paths. He's always trying to rescue us and and cover our sin. We need to let him. We need to allow for, for sacrifice, the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, to cover our sins, just like Adam and Eve had to cover their sins when God made sacrifice for them. But it's our choice. We can continue to go down the road and say, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to do the right things and never put our faith in Jesus and therefore never let it really connect us with God. Or we can take all of our mess, all of our rebellion, all of our sin and go, I can't fix it no matter how good I am. Jesus, I need you to cover my sin with your sacrifice. That's it. That's the whole Bible. That is the whole Bible. In one 30-minute session, y'all are dismissed. No, I'm just kidding. That's the whole Bible. But it all comes down to your choice. What are you going to do with it? So today's not a big heavy day. I'm not going to call. If you want to give your life to Jesus today, come on down. Come on down and pray with me. It's cool. You can do it any Sunday. Give your life to the Lord. But this is the thing. You've got to make a decision about what you're going to do with this sacrifice that Jesus made. Because he made a way for you when there was no way. He rescued you. You just got to grab hold. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you that you're my rescuer. I'm sorry that I'm a rebel. I'm sorry that, Lord, even every day you know the struggles that I have in my own mind, in my own flesh, in my own heart that that would want to lead me toward being self-destructive, in my own life. You know me. You know me. And yet, I thank you 
you rescued me anyway. And that you pay the price for my sin, that you cover it with your blood, that you make me your son. You make me yours. You make me whole. You forgive me. Thank you. Right now, I just ask you to just let everybody in here. I pray literally for just your spirit to come and that people would stop trying to be good and they start allowing you to be great in their lives by receiving you as Savior and by recognizing that you are enough, that it's always grace, that it can't ever be works because we can never be good enough. Bless, Lord God, your people. Grow us in you. Let, Lord, the seeds of truth that you've sown today through this message grow in each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.